who wants to play video games? Daddy, why did you eat my fries? I bought them and they were mine. Who are you guys? We're Finn and Jake. We're your friends. You're a psycho jerk and you ruined my life. I never said you had to be perfect. Now I have a memory of your memory and my memory. You don't remember anything, do you? Oh, Marceline, I never know what's going to set you off. Did I look pretty fly? Why is everybody messing with me? We have a long history together. It's, it's a long story. <gasps> Hey, this is Conversation Parade, an Adventure Time podcast. I am John Moe, here alongside my co-host, rapper, and host of the Secret Skin podcast, Open Mike Eagle. Hello, Mike. Hello, John. How are you today? I'm well. That's good. Later on in this episode, we'll talk with Akko Castuera. She's a writer and storyboard artist. She's likely boarded more Marceline episodes than any other board artist on the show. And she's going to talk with us about a subject near and dear to our hearts, death. There are all these limitations to being dead. And I think the, the biggest one or the one we focus on, because we're generally dealing with mortal characters, is that you can't hang out with each other. That storyboard artist, Akko Costuera, we'll talk with her later. But first... John, we got to talk about Stakes, man. All right, so Stakes is completed. We've we have the whole story arc of Marceline going from not wanting to be a vampire to not being a vampire to being a vampire once again, and I'm sitting here watching these things and thinking to myself, what does it all mean? What are we to take from this eight-parter? And I think I have an answer, Mike. No, what's that? I think this whole miniseries is about how the past has to die, and then you have to eat the past. Wow. You got to eat the past? Yeah, it's not enough to just move on from things that have happened. You have to consume them, take them in, and gather things from them to use in the future. Because that's what Marceline does with a whole lot of vampires. She uh, stakes them, or they get staked, or they... Uh, boil up and turn into dust when they get accidentally shoved into houses because they're old-fashioned. And uh, and then she swallows up their essence and uses it uh, down the road. And I think, I think the swallowing up is really the important part because we see that every time she kills one of these vampires. Now, is this wisdom that this wisdom that we can take from this, is this only applicable to people who have the ability to consume souls? Or can we... Can we get something out of this ourselves to us, us non-soul-sucking uh, sentient beings? Well, it depends on how much uh, and what kind of metaphorical value you attach to the vampires. You know, are, I see. if the vampires are things that are akin to you, then, you know, then it gets fairly limited. But I think we all have our own personal vampires and we all have our own series of things in our life that we need to that we need to shove a stake through and and move forward from. Um, I, I think Hierophant is the most glaring example of this. And I, by the way, I just love that he's voiced by Paul Williams, because if if you're musically inclined or if you're of a certain generation, Paul Williams means like Planet of the Apes. He means <laughs> a singer that was very popular in the 1970s. He means a frequent Love Boat star. Uh, he's He is currently alive and currently doing all sorts of interesting things, I'm sure, but he really represents the past whenever I, whenever I hear him. Um, but he is so bound to these old school vampire ways, like he insists on being invited into a house. He can't right. go into a house 
without being invited. You're one of those old-fashioned revenants, aren't you? You can't come in unless I invite you in. <laughs> and he ultimately dies after being shoved into a house made out of Jake. <gasps> no, I wasn't invited. No! And I, I wonder, since the vampires themselves, when they were reborn, seemed to be at a bit of a crossroads where um, it's almost as if they could have chosen to try to live new ways. And I wonder if he had a, let's say he had adopted Marceline's way of life and he had become a, a vegetarian. Like he was, he was kind of trying to con them into thinking that maybe he was going to do this. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and try these, these new modes, would he still be subject to these same old vampire rules? Like, like he seemed a little more old school than the rest of them. So I was wondering if that had any effect on how those old vampire tropes affected him. He seemed the most uh, entrenched in the old ways. He's the one who says, I can't even deal with all this modern nonsense. And the vampire king is, as we discover as the series goes on, um, more modernized than everybody. Right. But it's interesting. He's modernized because he's he seems to have seen the cycle play out from a very rooted perspective it seems like he's kind of seen this and he's like you know ready to try to ready to try to do something new in a way that the others aren't he seems a little less attached to uh, the behaviors of what it means to be a vampire and seems more interested in trying to figure out what you know what he means like what his individual self means as as an existing being on the planet he wants to try to forge new ways and find himself it seems and not necessarily be so married to vampires do this and vampires do that right well i think he seeks the death of his old self i mean he says he talks about this confrontation this inevitable showdown between he and marceline he says this is the old way agents of darkness and light in a tug of war but now a creature can step out of that struggle. It was a real surprise for me that, oh, okay, the Vampire King says that he wants to get rid of these old ways. He doesn't want to fight anymore. He wants to de-vampirize himself. He wants to get the effluvium sucked out of him just like she did. And I was I was in this moment that paralleled nicely with what I think they, they set up Marceline and Bubblegum and, and Finn and Jake to do, which is like, do we believe him? Or mm. not. And the first instinct, of course, is to not believe him that it's all a trap. It's a con. I think it, it goes even a little deeper than that. It seems to me that in that moment, all of the characters wanted to just uh, continue with what we thought was going to happen. Right. Except for Marceline, who is when? the most evolved, certainly in terms of, of vampires. And she's the one who, who ultimately believes him. Because I think it's this leap of faith. I mean, it, I think it represents a, a high stage of evolution for Marceline that she can take this, uh, this age old rivalry animosity, this person who she should hate more than anybody else and say, okay, let's give him a chance. Because if you don't, if you don't take that leap of faith, that change is possible and that redemption is possible, then it never will be possible. And she goes ahead and, and takes it, only to have, of course, the effluvium kicked over, <laughs> the bucket full right. of effluvium kicked over later and become a, a huge, scary cloud lion with snakes coming out of it. And it, but it did seem that it took a lot for her to finally uh, listen to him. He, 
you know, he had been saying the same thing ever since he appeared. He wasn't, he had never seemed like he had appeared there to fight. He right. wanted to talk and he wanted to explain it. He didn't really want to do these, do these old things anymore. And all our characters seem to have been following um, Marceline's will to go ahead and complete the cycle. And he, you know, he had to do a grand display of removing his clothes. It reminded me of Ric Flair in, in, uh, in wrestling. He, <laughs> of course he, it did. he was known to do the same thing. Like he would get really excited while talking to somebody and just start taking all his clothes off. <laughs> it's very of effective. It's very, very effective. <laughs> now, I, I, the, the cloud that he eventually turns into her that his vampire essence turns into the climactic battle with the big smoky lion like cloud of uh vampire essence mm-hmm. um i wonder if there's a connection between sucking up the cloud that is the vampire essence and sort of swallowing it internalizing it accepting it moving on with the fact that of the mushroom war And so maybe just as Marceline has to demonstrate her evolution and mature, I mean, and she talks at the end about, you know, she has these memories of her, her mortal life and, and she just seems a little older and wiser, uh, as a result of everything that she went through in stakes. I wonder if that's what their whole world sort of needs to do is absorb the cloud. This amorphous cannot be stabbed with a wooden stake, uh, cloud that that you need to suck up and move on from. Oh boy! Ooh, I am famished. To me, so much of this miniseries and a lot of this season as well has to do with pattern interruption uh, attempts by some very important characters to try to move on from cycles that they've been in. In Marceline's case, for you know, uh, thousands of years, a thousand years at least. Yeah, hundreds of years. Hundreds of years, right. Um, this whole miniseries is started by her wanting to interrupt the pattern of her state of suppressed vampirism and immortality, her deathlessness. She wants right. a release from this pattern of deathlessness, and it's a pursuit that um, I think any of us can understand, uh, her wanting to move on, and she's lived so long, and, and if there's an option that, you know, that PB presented to her that could work, I think we could all understand her trying to do that. But look at all the stuff that happened by her trying to take this step, you know, by just trying to break the pattern of being a vampire. Right. And I made a small list of things that happened. Okay. In her and her. <laughs> it's good to make lists. In her in her um, process to try to de-vampirize herself, cows die. Every farm in our village was attacked. Not a goat or a cow or a duck left unsucked. She's crucified. Marceline, no! Don't let anyone read my diaries! Burn them, Ben! They're uh, Evil vampires are unleashed. We're alive, and I'm going to get eating. Cows are danced with creepily. <laughs> and made to look like characters from A Clockwork Orange. <laughs> Ice King kidnaps Finn. Slap. Ah, who was that? Vampire! Ah, ah, ah. She gets poisoned. I don't feel so hot. Finn and Jake are almost killed by Sister Moon. Jake, help! I can't! I feel like I'm in a slow-motion terror dream! And that was just a short list of of, of things. Like, you know, all of these things are tragic. And they all happen because she tried to interrupt her pattern. And at some point, you know, when when she kind of realizes what's happened and she kind of has to reclaim all of these souls, 
it also it almost seems like it comes with this decision by her that she should continue the old pattern um mm. that she shouldn't interrupt it um and it it seems like it would kind of reinforce this fear of the unknown. She has that showdown with Vampire King and the Vampire King is trying to explain to her that we don't have to do this anymore. We don't have to be locked, like you said, in this endless struggle of light and, and the day. old ways. Right. And she says something to the effect of the other ways like a black hole an unknown. And they're in the middle of her trying to have gotten to an unknown like her trying to interrupt her vampirism kind of opened all of this stuff up so i could definitely see that she's like oh man like no we should just keep things like they are because <laughs> yeah because me trying to do something new has unleashed all of this and i gotten all my friends in trouble and hurt and um and so the vampire king wants to interrupt the pattern but at that point i don't think she wants to let him and i think that's the struggle that we're looking at is fear the unknown versus uh these comfortable patterns that some of our characters seem to have gotten into. I mean, we've talked before about how characters are kind of post-traumatic in this world. Right. Um, to me, this seems to reinforce her trauma. Like, you know, she's been living with all this heck inside of her for a thousand years. And the moment she tries to do something about it, everything goes to pot immediately and tragically and extremely. And, you know, it makes me feel a sadness for her character in a sense that, you know, um, I, I could easily see now for her that any thought she might have of attempting to better her situation, she might not want to pursue now just from what happened when she did try to. But I think the world is better off because she did all this stuff. I, I And I don't know if she would regret the decision that she made. Uh, to give it a try and unleash these demons. I mean, certainly the cows that that had all the blood sucked out of them may wish she had, hadn't made the decision, but she comes out of it with an understanding of mortality, an understanding, a, a broader understanding of other beings involved in the show. Uh, she still has sucked up all... The, you know, swallowed all the vampire essence, all the the clouds, and accepted the burdens and the powers that go with them. Um, but I think she's better off as a result, and we have a better accounting for the spirits of the vampires than we did uh, before she had the procedure. We know what they're capable of. We know uh, how to defeat them. We know that they are contained within Marceline to some extent. I certainly, as a as a viewer, feel like we're better off that she went through with this procedure and that this uh, this this grand story happened. Um, I'm just I'm not certain if the world that we're watching is better off for having these things happened. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I I think the Candy King was better off just, you know, because the King of Wu was obviously getting on everybody's nerves. And PB, you know, I think, you know, her natural course is, you know, and, and speaking of, of patterns, her natural course is to kind of uh, go back into that position. But uh, I just wonder if for everyone else, if what was gained will be what it cost to kind of have those things unfold the way they did. Let's go in the garden. You'll find something waiting right there where you left it, lying upside down. When you finally find it, you'll see how it's faded. The underside is lighter when you turn it around. <laughs> 
Akko Castuera is a writer and storyboard artist on Adventure Time. She storyboarded episodes like All the Little People, which is one of my personal favorites, Who Would Win, where Finn and Jake battle the formidable enemy, the farm. Plus, she's done a lot of Marceline episodes. Memory of a Memory, where Marceline's boyfriend tricked Finn and Jake into stealing one of Marceline's memories. Marceline's Closet, where Finn and Jake get stuck in Marceline's closet. Red Starved, where Marceline runs out of red things to eat and almost eats Jake. Akko was also the voice of Canyon, who was Billy's ex-girlfriend. I am really excited to talk to you because uh, I didn't know this, but it turns out you've actually storyboarded some of my very, very favorite episodes oh. of Adventure Time. Oh, I'm so happy to hear it. The, the one Red Starved I wanted to ask you about, especially uh, as, it's, as it pertains to Marceline. You seem to uh, have done a lot of Marceline episodes, right? Yeah, weirdly, I wound up, it's just a random luck of the draw, but I've wound up doing, I I might be the board artist who's done the most Marceline episodes. So is there anything in particular that draws you to that character? <laughs> no, I mean, not, not, not in the beginning, but you kind of, you have to work with what you have. Um, and I, I'm, I'm not like a big vampire person and I'm not, <laughs> you know, I sort of like... I found myself encountering a lot of cliches just about teenagers and vampires and sort of these conventional representations of, um, like, outsider types, dangerous characters. I see. Um, but over the years, I find that Marceline is, is one of the characters closest to my heart. So, yeah, now I have to say, yes, uh, there is something that draws me to Marceline, and it's like... Um, I, she's deep. I love her. What makes her deep in your eyes? What makes her deep? She's got a lot of layers. I think the first encounter of Marceline is like, she's this, she's a kind of a sulky teenager. She's got a bad attitude. She's a hedonist. Um, she kind of revels in taking risks and overloading on sensory stuff. Um, and she, you know, she like plays bass. She's got a, uh, she's got a lot of conventional, like mall type teenager, bad attitude stuff. Um, so that's sort of like, to me, that's a little bit (laughs) off putting. Um, but then when you think about where Marceline is coming from, she's, uh, has this really traumatic childhood. Everyone she's loved has either abandoned her or misused her, she's built this identity as persona around herself, like just to protect her emotions, I think. Um, and on top of everything, she's a vegetarian. So, you know, <laughs> she also like, even though she is a thrill seeking kind of indulgent person, she denies herself the thing that would give her the most fortification. And she does it out of her own moral sense or some kind, you know, she's got a, she's got a guiding star in life. So that interests me a lot. And she has a lot of time to figure out her perspective in terms of uh, her inner nature and how she's going to deal with it because she's uh, she's got this deathlessness thing happening. Apparently she's been alive for a thousand years plus. What do you think about how she's chosen to deal with like immortality, given the problems that she's dealt with in life? Well, I don't think she's really dealing with it. I think that her development as a person, not only wanted to arrest physically, but I think that psychologically she might 
theory is she's kind of like she's a teenager, not only in her body, but kind of in her brain as well. And they say that your brain doesn't fully mature until you're somewhere in your late 20s or 30s. And I kind of think, yeah, emotionally, Marceline hasn't gotten to that place yet. You know, it's funny, though, I actually see her as kind of sophisticated in the sense that uh, she does have that vampire nature and it would be like very easy for her in a in a teenage mind state to just completely indulge that and just, you know, terrorize small creatures and, and eat everything that she wants to eat, given uh, all the things she's that she's been through. But it seems to me like kind of mature that she's kind of that she's she, she chills out on it. That she kind of found another way to deal with it rather than uh, just, you know, let it all go and and eat rabbits or <laughs> whatever, yeah. whatever's around her. I, I do think she's sophisticated. And I think a lot of teenagers have um, I mean, I'm not saying they're like dumb and their brains aren't formed or anything. But, you know, it's like you have you know who you are inside. But you're not always acting that way. What do you think was a, an important takeaway for viewers of the show about Marceline? Uh, something that you guys want to make sure you got across in this series that was focused on her? For me, I, I pretty much spell it out in the very beginning. Um, I think the takeaway is that bad things happen to us when we're young or maybe even when we're older and through life, and they don't have to... Um, define the course of your actions through life. You can take matters into your hands and decide um, what you want to, how you want to deal with your past and how you want to move on. Yeah. And I think that's one of the really cool things about Marceline. It kind of gets at what I was saying earlier about her. I mean, I think it'd be so easy for her to just really sit in all the bad things that happened to her from, from Simon going crazy and kind of abandoning her to her becoming uh, the thing that she hates most, um, yeah. it would be really easy for her to just, you know, sit in that anger. But she's trying to she's she's, you know, she's picked up hobbies. <laughs> she's, yeah. uh, you know, she's got a couple pals. Um, she goes out of her way not to eat people and things. I yeah. think, you know, she's doing pretty good. Yeah. Um, since we've seen, uh, you know, dead worlds where souls live on and um, the vampires themselves, when their souls were sucked, um it, they even when they come back, they say themselves that they had died. But it also seems that in some sense they live on within Marceline. And, um, you know, looking at some of the episodes you've done, like the vault where we um, we see Finn interact with Shoko, who we find out uh, he's actually a reincarnation of. Um, yeah. I just wonder what, what, you know, do you have any insight for us about what death means in Adventure Time? I kind of think of it like a really classical Greek myth um, sense of death. You know, there's Hades. It's a real place. You can go there. There are sections for people who did um, messed up things in in their mortal life. And, you know, there are all these limitations to being dead. And I think the, the biggest one or the one we focus on, because we're generally dealing with mortal characters, is that you can't hang out with each other, you know, like, separate you um, dimensionally. And so, you know, you know the Greek myth about um, Orpheus and Eurydice? Orpheus nope, is I, the, need, I, need, I need you to educate me. Oh, so Orpheus and Eurydice are, are lovers, and Eurydice, is, she dies and she's taken to Hades, and Orpheus, um, he, he can't play the beautiful music that he used to play. He can only play these songs that make all the 
spirits of the forest, all the animals and the trees just weep. So someone, um, someone takes pity on him and they basically tell him like, if you can go to Hades, like play your harp and bring Eurydice back out without turning around to look at her. So he goes down there and he, you know, he just cannot resist. He has no faith that she's behind him. So he just has to turn around and look. And the instant he does, he sees her and she disappears and she's lost to him forever. Um, Wow. So, yeah, that was one of those just like stories that I, as a kid, I was just like, no, it's impossible. Like, why didn't you just make it out? And, you know, um, to me, that's kind of what the dead world or what death, death is like in Adventure Time. And it is this sort of, it's like a, a body of water almost. Like, you can step into it and out of it at different times. And, you know, you see Finn's incarnations of different life forms through the eons and uh, i don't know i, I like the flexibility story-wise for sure it's not oh yeah it's fantastic <laughs> it leaves yeah. all sorts of possibilities like in the vault a fan can be haunted by a ghost of a being that he used to be <laughs> yeah like yeah you know and and it you know it gets me to thinking about okay then wow like what does it mean that these two beings or, or that, what does it mean if Finn was a reincarnation of Shoko, if Shoko can also be present enough in some dimension to still haunt him while he's also still alive, you know? Yeah. Right. You're like, how is all this simultaneously happening? Isn't life this, um, enclosed like compartment that you like are, you're, you're confined to, but yeah, I like that, um, death and adventure time just, it doesn't close off possibilities so much as it does open open them up and introduce like new story scenarios. But what would you say in in stakes is the most is a scene that you found to be most impactful to you? Ah, picking one scene I think would be impossible. I you can pick two. You can pick oh, three if yeah. you want. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really fond of. Um, uh, the moment where Marceline, um, she's just like given up. She's sick of the sick of the hamster wheel, and um, Ice King comes up and he's like, "Yeah, we're cockroaches." You and me, we're survivors, right? Like cockroaches or rats. Sure, you could fight and try to save the day, but what if you lose? Then what? You could die. Better to run and hide like a rat, right, buddy? Did you just call me a cockroach, Simon? What? No. No, no, no. No. Thanks, buddy. Because <laughs> it sort of plays like a small scene, but it's, um, you know, it's like the key to her coming out of her um, inertia and jumping back in <laughs> and, like, fulfilling her whatever, her destiny slash, I don't know what that was, but um, I love that. I love... I love when the Vampire King, um, <laughs> when he, you know, when he like, he's just like ripping off his clothes. Oh, I'm not afraid of the unknown. He, he's like exploding with energy and he's ripping off his clothes and he's like making it rain and he's splashing around in clouds. I love the, it's like epic and hilarious. I really love, I love those scenes. I love the whole arc 
So that's that's why it's difficult to. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to make you pick between your children. But also, also, I find with my child that some of my favorite moments of him is when he is standing in his underwear unexpectedly. So I totally get that. <laughs> That's Akko Castuera, writer and storyboard artist on Adventure Time. Conversation Prey, an Adventure Time podcast, is a production of Infinite Guest and American Public Media. It's hosted by me, Open Mike Eagle, and John Moe. The Adventure Time end credit song you're hearing was written and performed by Ashley Erickson. The Daddy Fry song you heard earlier was written by Rebecca Sugar and sung by Olivia Olson. This project is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts on the web at arts.gov. Special thanks to Cartoon Network for their support. And we want to hear from you. Go to infiniteguest.org, find Conversation Parade, and find an episode and leave a comment in our comment section. John and I love to chat with you over there. You can also click on the link to send us an email from that page. And we're on Twitter. I'm at Mike underscore Eagle, and he's at John Moe. When we're at Infinite Guest. <laughs>